from Genesis, the angel said to Abraham, for now I know that you fear God, since you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Amen. Good morning, friends. I have to say I thank God for little blessings because this would have been a really strange text for Father's Day last weekend, which it could happen, actually. Um, But this is a, here's the thing, right? Genesis 22, this sacrifice of Isaac, this story about it actually is probably one of, well, not one of the most, but it's, it's up there, right? With a, with a what kind of text from scripture? Like what is going on here, right? God tells Abraham to take his son, his only son, which if you don't know how Hebrew works, to repeat it is to make it emphatic. So, hey, Abraham, just to be sure, your only son, take him and kill him and offer him as a sacrifice to me. Now, it sounds weird, right? But in the context, human sacrifice wasn't that unusual. But if you know anything about Scripture, in the Old Testament, God never requires the sacrifice of a son. Or actually, does he? We'll get to that in a minute. Um, <laughs> but most people read this story, and they ask themselves the obvious, obvious question. You know, what kind of a God would ask a man to kill his only son? And, and I, hope, I hope that kind of was making you wonder a little bit, because... That's precisely what I'm going to talk about this morning. Most people want to dodge that question. No way, man. We're going right at it. Why? Why would God ask a man to kill his son, his only son? What does that command? Here's the two kind of sub-ideas here. What does that command tell us about the character of God? And I think the most important thing is what does it actually teach us about our character? So why would God ask Abraham to do this? What does that tell us about God's character, A? And what does it tell us about our own character? So three things, again, three points. Uh, Abraham was tested, obviously. Abraham trusted God, and Abraham was blessed. Those are my three points. So first thing, let's look about this. Let's dive in for a second on how this idea of how Abraham was tested, because I think we can all agree, right? This is a pretty big, pretty big test. This is, uh, so far, Abraham has been going through a series of rather unfortunate events that he's had to deal with, and this, I think, takes the cake, as you might say. Um, Abraham was tested. You know, it's interesting. When we think about God working in our own lives, when we come across something which is good, something we wanted, right? We pray for something, and it happens. What do we say? Praise report. woo Yay, God. Thanks, man. All right, you're the best. But that's not really how life works. And it's, and it's naive and stupid to think that it does. Because it doesn't always work that way. Everything in life, listen, everything in life, everything in life worth having is obtained only in struggle, only in testing, only in suffering. And if you think about it, just let me take it out of religion for a moment and just think, right? If you went to grad school or you went to college or you were, you're in grade school, right? That's a struggle, right? That's something you want to achieve. It's hard work. Getting into shape, working out is hard work. Raising kids, being married, taking your daughter to the gun range for the first time yesterday, right? Is hard work. It requires something to struggle. And my point being that whenever you want to go from where you are to where you or God wants you to be, it always requires struggle. It always requires testing, right? Is it just me or is this kind of an obvious thing when you think about it? And the reason we have to be tested to get from here to there is because it teaches us how to trust. The word used here is the word fear. I'll get to that in a second. 
but it teaches us to fear God, to trust God. And I want to, I want to dial on that for one second. And let me ask you, let me ask you just an, another kind of duh, obvious question. Why does God, why does God have to test Abraham or me or you? Why does God have to even do that in the first place? You know, I think about this stuff. You ever notice? <laughs> why does God, why does he bother? Like, I mean, okay, it's a good question. And I hope, again, if you're wondering, well, why would God ask you to kill his son? And why does he have to test anybody in the first place? It's an obvious question. Because if God is omniscient, meaning he knows everything, I mean, he exists in the past, present, and future all at the same time, why the test? I mean, shouldn't he kind of, shouldn't he kind of already know? See, here's the fundamental mistake we make in the question of why this happens to Abraham, right? Or us, or you or me. Here's the problem. Here's the fundamental problem we all make. We talk about being tested by God. We talk about struggle and suffering. Most of us think that we are put through a test to see if we've got what it takes, right? See if we can cut the mustard. See if we can do it to make the grade. That's what our culture says. That's what our parents tell us. It's what everybody tells us. Work hard, right? And when we're, we're being tested by God, it's because God's kind of dangling his string. Ah, Rodriguez, can you do it? Can you do it? Oh, so close. Right? That's actually not true. We live in a culture where that is the case, but that is not the case with God. Because God knows what you can bear with his strength. It's not how, that's not how testing works with God. We know, because Scripture tells us. He already knows what you can, you're capable of. The question here is, do you? The important thing to remember when we talk about God testing Abraham, or you or me, is that really it's not God testing you, it's you testing God. Think about this for a second, right? If Abraham, or if God already knows, then who's the one being tested? It's not God. It's Abraham. It's you. It's me. It's you learning to test God and see if he's going to do what he says. You know, when they're going up the mountain and the kid asks the obvious question, hey, Pop, yep, I got the knife in the wood. Where's the goat? Abraham says, God will provide, my son. Now, you may not realize this. Most commentators think that Abraham, he fully intended to kill the kid. There's no doubt about it. But Abraham knew something was going to happen. Who who knows what? Abraham was the one being tested, you see. The The goat does arrive. We'll get to that in a second. That's a biggie. You know, it's interesting. We tend to think of suffering as something that we should avoid, but, but again, the, the Scripture is all topsy-turvy, right? The Bible is always teaching us, the, uh, giving us the upside-down kingdom, where things are different than the culture would say they should be. James says about being tested in suffering, he says this. Ready? Here's another zinger. James says, count it all joy, brothers. And it means Christians. It doesn't just mean men. Count it all joy, church when you meet trials of various kinds. What? I don't know about you, but when I'm going through suffering, the first thing that pops into my brain is not, whoa, this is great, thank you, Lord. Maybe, again, maybe it's just me. But, but James says there's a reason for it, you see, because testing produces steadfastness. And steadfastness, having its full effect, that you may be perfect and lacking in nothing. So the point I'm trying to make here is that we look at suffering as something to avoid at all costs. And what I'm telling you, I'm not telling you to be a masochist, but what I'm telling you is there's a purpose behind it. There's a meaning behind it. 
God is teaching you to trust him more and more. It's not him testing you. It's him letting you test him. Think of a time in your own life. Again, let's just make this practical because the Bible is eminently practical. Right? Think of a time in your own life, in the past. And I don't, I don't care what it was where you were, you were suffering in life or just you were in a bad spot, right? I mean, we've all been there. And if you haven't been, you will be. But think of your own, in your own life or someone around you who's just in a really tough, difficult position. And it could be anything, the loss of a job, loss of health, the death of a spouse, whatever, man. Fill in the blank. The point is, when you emerge from these times, you can always, if you're a person of any thought whatsoever, you can look back on those times of your life and go, man, when I was in the middle of that, that was really terrible, but I can see now that God was there. That is God letting you test him. So Abraham's test is simple. Simple. Abraham, take your son, your only son, Isaac. That double there is an emphatic in the Hebrew, and he names him, just in case Abraham's not exactly clear what God's asking him to do. Take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love. Ratchet that up a little bit. And go to the land of Moriah and offer him as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, which I'll tell you. And that's my second point here. What does Abraham do? Well, clearly, he's not happy about this. But the one thing about Abraham, what you have to see, is he actually obeys. They arrive at the mountain, and Isaac, as I said, he asked the obvious question, all right, Pop, we got the knife in the wood, but where's this goat? Where's this lamb? And Abraham's reply, you see, is actually the key to the whole text. And it's, and it's, it's mysterious, because he says, God will provide my son. And you, not, you need to know, in the, in the English it's there, but in the Hebrew it's stronger. The nuance is a little more, little more, uh, little more uh, emphatic. Abraham trusts God even as he grabs the knife with the intention, frankly, of killing his son. Most commentators think Abraham expected God to perhaps raise Isaac from the dead. But he intended to kill him. Imagine the level of trust that must have been required of Abraham to do such an incredibly difficult thing. But the thing to remember, too, here, and this is a, another important little sub-lesson in all this, this is not Abraham's first test, you see. It's like faith for everybody. Right? It's a growing, you know, you grow in your faith, right? The, lo- the, lo- the longer you trust in God, the longer, the longer you take him at his word, the longer you test him and see that he delivers, your faith begins to grow. And Abraham has been being led along for a while, right? Abraham and Lot, the Sodom and Gomorrah story, Abraham being led through Egypt. We talked last week about Hagar and that whole train wreck. My point being, Abraham has learned to trust, to trust God. This is not like a, this is not something you would, that God would give to a brand new Christian, right? He still, Abraham has learned to trust God, but he's still got a ways to go. He's still learning. And the question is, are you still learning? Do you see this as, some, as your growth in your faith? Because guess what? friends, unless it's just me, uh, even being a Christian doesn't absolve you from suffering, doesn't absolve you from struggle. We live in a fallen and broken world, man, and God is going to put things in front of you, but the idea here, you see, as a Christian, is you've learned, oh yeah, I know what this is. I've seen this before. Bring it. Bring it. Big surprise, right? As the knife comes, and Abraham literally takes the kid, ties him up, lays him on the wood, and the knife is literally coming down, and the angel says, Abraham, Abraham, wait! And there's a great 
painting. I should have put it on the cover of this. I didn't think of it till just now. There's a great painting by Rembrandt. You've heard of him, right? Famous painter guy. Rembrandt has a painting of this. You should, don't Google it now, but maybe, maybe after church. And there's a great, <laughs> there's a great painting of, of this incident. And it's literally, and I think it captures the nuance in the Hebrew here. It's literally Abraham, the kid's down on the, you know, down on the, on the altar, and the knife is coming down, literally coming down. And Abraham, and as the angel grabbing for Abraham's hand, and the knife is literally like this, and just like flying out of the air. It's incredible. It captures the, the man, talk about the last minute, right? And the angel says to him, Abraham, Abraham, for now I know that you fear God, you trust him, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. That idea of fear here, but let me just segue for a quick second. That idea of fear here does not mean, you know, ah, fear like, you know, someone breaks into your house with a shotgun. It means, it means when something captures your full attention, right? Like for, I'll give you a quick example. I was pulling out onto Indian River Boulevard just last week at the light in following all the laws, right? And I was waiting at the, at the light. The light turned green. The green arrow came for me to make a left onto Indian River. And some woman on a bike comes across doo, 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 right, right in front of me. I mean, thank you, Jesus. I saw her out of my peripheral vision. But when I saw her, man, I, I was fear. That's the idea of this fear, this idea that, this, that you, I have captured. Abraham, I now know that God has captured your complete attention. I now know I've got your attention. I now know you fear God. That's the idea. What that means is that God, Abraham now fears God, meaning that God is his complete, God's got his attention. And why does that matter? Well, because you see, when Isaac was born, we heard about Isaac last week. Isaac, you know, he laughs, right? God gets the last laugh. We talked about that. When, when Isaac was born, something began to shift in Abraham. And I think this is pretty typical for dads and moms too, for that matter. But, you know, Abraham had waited a long time for this kid, right? A long time. And it was a, a miracle kid, right? He was born and nobody expected it. It was an, an impossible uh, child, you might say. But he is born through Abraham and Sarah. And something begins to shift in Abraham. Right? Up until that point, Abraham had been the guy who had always focused on God. But, you know, when you're a dad and you have children or you're a mom and you've got children and things creep into your life that distract you, that pull your consciousness away from God as your first thing, Isaac begins to become a part of Abraham's identity. Isaac begins to, be, begins to become the thing that Abraham defines himself. In other words, Isaac, listen to this, I would submit to you that Isaac, in a sense, had become an idol, a false god. Do you see, my, you see what I'm driving at here? Like, in other words, like, so God, Isaac had become, you know, the whole point of Isaac is to remind Abraham constantly that God is the focus. But like we all fall into this trap, man. The things in our lives, they begin to become the things we rely upon, whether it's your kids or your wife or your job or your cash or your whatever, man. I don't care what it is. We've all got them. And Isaac has begun to fall into the trap that besets every human heart. We mistake a thing for God, an idol. And if you don't believe me, here's how you know. You ready? What is the one thing in this world that if you lost it would destroy you? That is your idol, and we've all got them. What is the one thing in your life that if you lost it, it would shred you? I'm not saying it wouldn't just be painful, but that's a lot of stuff. 
but the one thing that would destroy you. What's that thing? Person, place, or thing? That is your idol. We've all got them. And God, God is trying to remove Abraham, this idol, from his heart. And the reason is not because God is cruel. On the contrary, it's because God is loving. You know, I asked you, why, does, why would a God, what tells you about the character of God to have Abraham be willing to get rid of his idol? Well, the fact of the matter is God loves Abraham, and God needs Abraham to trust him. I'll get to that in a moment. But the idols fail you. They fail you and me. If your child is the reason for the joy in your life, right? For example, and it can be anything. If their child is the mark of your definition of a person, you will push your children so hard you will crush them. If your wife is the one who defines you and your love for this, who you are as a human or your husband, you will, you will be jealous of her or him. You'll push her or him. You'll crush them. Idols don't just destroy us, you see. We destroy them because we are trying to make little gods out of them. Don't you see what this tells you about the character of God? God is, strange as it sounds, God is actually trying to rescue Isaac from, sorry, rescue Abraham from an idol. Because only then, only then could Abraham be fully dependent upon God. And you've got to remember, realize something too, and I'll make my last point here. People say, well, that's kind of an extreme test, isn't it? Yes, it is, actually. But think about it like this. And this actually happens repeatedly through the entire nation of Israel. Think about it like this. What if Abraham fails? What if Abraham, I don't mean just this test, what if Abraham's faith fails? Well, think about it like this. Abraham becomes the father of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, who become the 12 tribes of Israel. And then Jesus Christ is then born of the tribe of Judah down the road. So hear this, okay? If Abraham fails, the Savior of the world is never born. The stakes, the stakes for Abraham's faith could not be higher. I mean, think about it like this. If, if, if Jesus Christ is not born as, as the result of the, being the progeny of Abraham, his son Isaac would be damned. My point I'm trying to make here, I hope it's clear, the test is extreme because God has remarkably, this is crazy too, entrusted humanity with bringing forth the birth of the Savior of the world. He needs Abraham to have faith. Because only then could God, only then could Abraham do what God required him to, be, to do, which was to eventually be the great, 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 great grandfather, whatever it is, of, the, of Jesus, the Son of God. And this is the last one I want you to realize here is that God had a son as well. And his name was Jesus, which incidentally means God saves, if you didn't know that. And I want you to realize the, this, there, is a, there is a correspondence here between Isaac and Jesus. I hope you see it. Because God places the wood of the cross, you know, the wood of the sacrifice that Abraham places on the shoulders of his son Isaac. God places the wood of the sacrifice on his own son, the cross. And God leads his own son up the hill, just like he asked Isaac to do. Not Mount Moriah, but Golgotha, the place of the skull. And there, Jesus, God actually sacrifices his son to pay for the sins of the world. 
God offers himself, Jesus, as a substitute for you and for me. You know, it's a lot of, if you read the church fathers, uh, this, this goat, um, the ram caught in the thicket, it's really fascinating. They, you know, the a- angel says to Abraham, Abraham, don't kill the kid. And if you read the text closely, you'll see that the angel stands there and says, wait, Abraham. And Abraham stops. Okay, here I am. By the way, I love that Abraham says, here I am. It's a Hebrew idiom that means kind of like, I'm totally open to what you say. Okay? And then behind the angel, we see this ram caught in the thicket. Well, that ram's name is Jesus. Jesus Christ is prefigured in that ram, that sacrificial, the sacrificial lamb who takes the place of Isaac. That same lamb, Jesus, takes the, bears the wood of the sacrifice on his shoulders and takes your place and mine on the cross. And if Abraham had failed, Jesus would never have been born. The seed that God had promised would have failed. So friends, there's a lot going on here. But Abraham is tested, and you will be too. And Abraham was trust, trusted God because he was able to test God and see that God would actually do what he said. He did, in fact, provide the lamb. God will provide my son. Sounds naive and silly, but actually, you know, God did, and he provides him for you too. His name's Jesus. The free gift of God for Jesus' death on the cross in your place, the free gift of God which you did not earn, neither did I, and we certainly do not deserve, but which Jesus gives to us in our place as the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world and dies on the hill for you. Shall we pray, Father, teach us to see the testing in our lives as opportunities to test you and to see that you actually do provide. Even at the last minute, help us to see also, the idols in our own heart give us the strength to see them and to put them away and refocus our identity on the one thing which matters, Jesus, your son. In his name we pray. Amen. Thank you for tuning in to our Trinity Episcopal Church podcast. To find out more about the work God is doing through Trinity, visit us online at trinitybureau.org and follow us on Facebook. Facebook.